Welcome to Painting Corners, your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now, here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. Jesse Doherty from the Washington Post is with us to talk Nationals. Now, there's an elephant in the room. It's a pretty big elephant, actually. I mean, he's a top five player in baseball when he's healthy and swinging the bat correctly. Bryce Harper, is he coming back? And what's your percentage on his kind of situation with the Nationals right now? Yeah, my my hunch is that he's not. So the percentage I would put it at is like 80 to 85. He goes somewhere else. And then like 75 of that percentage, I'm bad with numbers, so I'm not really sure where that puts us, um, is the Phillies. <laughs> so, I guess, so I guess it's like most of it, most of the non-nationals percentage for me is, is going to Philadelphia. And then I guess I, I'm not going to count him out and go to the Yankees until it actually he's actually playing for another team uh, just because of how they've been historically, even though they've said repeatedly they're not in it. And then Dodgers, I guess, on a short term, high AAV will High AAV deal could be possible, but uh, I just don't see it being the Nationals. I guess they are still in for the sole fact that they never "quote unquote" close the door on anything. But at this point, I think it's trending away from them and is gonna is gonna land Harper with another team. Yeah. So, you, do you think he winds up in the NL East? Like, I mean, you said Philly, obviously, but I mean, is there any other options really? I mean, you have a team like the Dodgers who known to throw their hat in the ring. You also have a White Sox team that's oddly out of place when it comes to the teams that we're talking about. Like, where is, is Philly your hunch? Philly's my, yeah, Philly's definitely my hunch. I, I just think they're the only team that's had like a direct tie to him since the winter meetings, aside from the Nationals, who had a, a pre Christmas meeting. Uh, and then the Phillies met with him in Vegas. Other than that, um, I, and, I, and I'm not going to believe that anything like backdoor or or secretive is going on uh, that we wouldn't know about because I think if let's say the White Sox or the Dodgers or whoever the Yankees were meeting with him or or making offers Scott Boris will be putting that out there it's this stuff is you know it's it's nuanced in the sense that agents approach this differently and then they you know obviously there's the there's the rules that aren't followed about not sort of tampering with the market through the media but it's been so radio silent on Bryce for the last month or so that I'm led to believe that that's because the market's just totally stale. And I think that's why I'm, it's trending toward Philadelphia because they're the team that's shown the most interest in him and kind of the only team we have outwardly saying that they're ready to make an offer. The last time the nationals made an offer was September, you know, right before the end of the season. And, and that offer had a clear expiration date that by the time the GM meetings came around in early November, they it already was off the table once he hit for agency. So the only other offer or the only other intention of an offer that we know about is from Philadelphia. So it's hard to really say right now that he'll go anywhere else, but of course there are, there are ways and that the market's, you know, soft enough, or if, if Bryce is willing to take again, like a low, you know, like few years and then a high AAV deal is something that like LA has expressed interest in doing, then maybe this tilts another way. But for the most part, I think, yeah, it's, it's Philadelphia's to lose right now. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think that makes a lot of sense to me. And just coming from a non, you know, Nationals fan, you know, he's got no reason to go back to the Nationals. It's not like the Nationals have won World Series or made big runs like the Dodgers recently, where they've been in it at least. They've been kind of a underperforming team, underwhelming team, even if you want to say that when it comes to looking at the roster and everything like that. And he's a Boris guy, which means he's going to want big money. 
and the years might be thrown in there. I mean, J.D. Martinez kind of set that new, oh, got to have a bunch of player options, kind of like a Strasburg deal as well, where right. a ton of player options there, and you can figure it out after that, and then opt out, opt in, whatever. But Harper went swinging the bat well when healthy, like Austin said. He's a top-five player in baseball, and I think everyone yeah. knows that. And his market has shrunk, and Machado's has, has as well. Machado shrunk because of his comments and his play going into the World Series. You know, his on-field antics, his off-field comments, and just his inability to be consistent, where I think Harper's was just because it was such an astronomical amount of money. And they were like, well, if we're going to wait it out, and if Manny's not going to get signed, then we'll just wait until, you know, we got time. So I think it is the Phillies to lose, though. It makes sense to me. Philly has a pretty complete team right now. They got a good pitching staff. They got a good lineup. He makes the lineup great. And Washington, I don't know if it's a hot take, but they don't really need him, I think. I don't know. I mean, you're you you are the Washington guy, but you know, do you think you actually need Bryce Harper to have success with this team? It's it's so interesting you say that because they've done a lot this offseason that has put themselves in position to sort of survive or yeah, and I don't want to rhyme here, but and survive or even thrive without him. Um, but the but what they sort of need is the middle of the lineup pop. And like you sort of get it with Brian Dozier, but you know, he's coming off this like weird injury and season that was you know, supposedly marred by this, this bone bruise. And, and you don't really know what you're going to get with him. And then other than that, like Anthony Rendon's a 25 home run guy, if he's going to stay healthy for a whole season. But, but what they, what they are lacking is that middle of the order presence and uh, in the big left-handed bat. And it's, it's interesting to me that like, they are in this position where, yeah, they probably can be a, a pretty good baseball team and a and a contender without him. But he's also like the perfect missing piece for the lineup. <laughs> so yeah, I you think, you have that you have that power gap, but it's almost like yeah, Harper's that guy. But man, if just one guy steps up, if Soto turns into that or Robles right. or someone, it's like oh man, we're we're golden. Right. Yeah, and that's the thing with with Soto. It's like I'm kind of assuming he's not going to be what he was last year. But if he is, then yeah, they actually are very fine. The NL East has actually been extremely active in terms of markets, trades, free agents, everybody except for the Miami Marlins, who are, of course are waiting to trade JT Romito. But one of the first moves of the entire offseason was actually the Nationals trading for catcher Jan Gomes and signing Kurt Suzuki. What's the catching situation like? I think it's going to be day-to-day by feel. I mean, like I, I imagine that Kurt Suzuki is going to catch Annabelle Sanchez given their relationship uh, going back to last year when Annabelle sort of revived his career with Atlanta with Kurt catching him. Other than that, I don't see any outward indications of who will catch who or who will catch when. Um, but I do think that the Nationals got a clear upgrade from what was last year was Matt Wieters, Pedro Severino, and Spencer Keeboom and, and offensively. And uh, I, I, probably you're going to see Jan Gomes catch more games. He's coming off an all-star season. Kurt Suzuki's 35. Um, but, but Kurt's coming off a good season as well. So it won't be an even split. I could see like Jan catching a hundred games, Suzuki catching 60, whatever it may be, barring any injuries for either of them. But I don't think there's any set plan. The fact that both guys are righties means there's there's no obvious platoon. So, uh, it, it will more be Dave Martinez feel. I'm sure if one guy's hot, he'll ride him, switch off on Sundays. sort of your typical thing. Just the fact that you have two guys who are who can start and, and, you know, catch a lot of innings. So it's, it's definitely a good situation for them. No, it's, it's a great situation for them. It's something that they lacked last year, like you said, and Jan Gomes is that, you know, stereotypical. He's like a, you know, a grand doll where he can hit some pop, you know, is he the you know best overall catcher in the league? No, but does he, can he hit? Yeah, he can definitely hit. And Kurt Suzuki, 
having a good year, veteran presence, and maybe he works well with a Serger or an older guy, and maybe Jan Gomes looks better with a little bit of a younger group. And there's really nothing wrong with that when it comes down to picking and choosing who works better. I mean, you see it in, throughout the league now, and you'll be seeing it more and more. Another kind of tandem pair, but not really, is first base. You got Ryan Zimmerman. Mr. He's going to be there. Mr. Nat. <laughs> we love Ryan. We're big Ryan. We're big Zimmerman guys. Yeah. You know, he's been one of the better players in baseball for years. You know, he's not a, you know, 330 guy every year, but he's just so good, so solid. And even as his age, he's like 34 years old. He's still crushing it. Another older guy you got there is Matt Adams. You sign him to, you know, sign him to that nice deal for next year. Zimmerman's going to get most of the games. There's not all of them. Where does Matt Adams fit into that? Because I feel like he is the bigger question mark than what Zimmerman is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think ideally you want Zimmerman to play 120 games for the Nationals. You, you don't want to overuse him just because he is older and he's been really banged up. But um, he's, he's like you guys said, extremely productive when he plays. And he, he's a guy you can get 20 home runs and you start to fill in that Bryce power gap with him if he is healthy. Even if he's not, you know, last year he had 13 and 85 games. He has that. He has that ability to maximize, you know, somewhat limited at bats. But with Adams, I mean, obviously the Nats see him as their their first option for a late game pinch hitter. Um, he's a, he's a lefty, and and but I don't I don't think it's going to be any sort of. And I don't think you indicated this, but it's not any sort of platoon. It's more of just he'll spell Zimmerman when he can, and they're going to want to get him as many at bats as they can with you know within Zimmerman's schedule, just so he is ready and primed to be a a pinch hitter in big spots. And and he's used to that role. It's not like he's. He, he, he played it pretty well last year for the Nationals. He's another guy who could really get up to 20 home runs if he gets a certain number of at-bats because he has all that pop. But I do think his his role really is just a pinch hitter and and, 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 a, and a spot starter. And then, But if Zimmerman does you know, miss two weeks or miss three weeks, which he has become very prone to do in the latter half of his career, you have a pretty good option in Adams. So I, I think it's, again, that's another signing, like you said, great value on that contract. And and he's definitely an off-the-bench guy that, that, that gives them some flexibility. So... The, he started in 2005. When did the Nationals move back? Has he been here every year of this organization? Yeah, yeah. He That's was insane. Um, they just bounced him around uh, positions, really, for a while, I believe. Yeah, he, I mean, th- third to first, but he's he spanned the whole time. I mean, he played. He only played. He didn't play a lot that first year. I'm I'm pretty sure, and don't don't quote me on this. As we're on. Oh no, no, we're quoting Sorry. him. Put him. Put him, <laughs> put him in the post. I'm put it in the quote. post. I think he was uh, the first draft pick after they became the nationals again the first, first i pick. also would double down on that and believe he wasn't so now we're quote we're both being now quoted. now we're okay, both getting quoted we can get cold, freezing cold takes in here and <laughs> you're right because it's such a big thing right and it's a huge um, thing yeah it's I'm, a huge thing <laughs> he has spanned the entire dc he's he's this kind of the one constant from the terrible years to what's now been you know pretty good competition for the last nine or so years yeah it's it's been you guys have been competitive pretty much every year and right there i guess minus this year you weren't you were you know kind of floating around 500 but it was trending down we all kind of you know everyone kind of knew it from the outside looking in but you know that makes a lot of sense with adams and Zimmerman there adams is going to find his way into the lineup another guy that when he is healthy man is he productive with the bat and would definitely help with the power of it but can he stay healthy and can he bounce back from a weird year second base is going to be brian dozier is pretty much every game but is he going to play all those games health-wise? And do you think he's going to get back to bat in 260 but 30, 40 home runs? Yeah, I think that's what the Nationals are banking on. And, yeah, and I think he's he's betting on himself, too. If he was really banged up and really thought he was going to start turning down, I, I imagine he would have 
aggressively sought out a two to three year deal. And the indications I've gotten from that is that he actually was given, you know, a lower, lower salary for some, some shorter term stability. And, and he, and he said, no, I can go and bet on myself in, in, in DC and, and hearing about his personality from some people who have covered him or been around him. I, I think that's one, his nature. He sort of has this chip on his shoulder. I got something to prove, but at the same time, I think that's a decent indication for the nationals that he's feeling like he can be pr- healthy this year and that that knee is not going to be a lingering issue. So, yeah, I mean, I think he'll play a lot and they don't have, I, th- I think in this case, if the bench stays what it is right now, Howie Kendrick becomes more of a corner outfielder for you and a right-handed bat. And then Wilmer Defoe is the guy who's going to kind of play behind Dozier at second. Of course, Kendrick could play second if they need him to, but uh, I could even see Dozier moving over to play some first in, certain, in some lineups if, if Zimmerman were ever to go out. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think he's, you know what he is when he's healthy. Uh, he hasn't shown aside from last year with that kind of like we said weird injury that he's anything but so uh, right now yeah i think he can be that for this team and and depending on where he hits in the order he could be in a spot to see a lot of pitches and and uh, it it seems like a good fit so uh, i guess we'll see how that one plays out but it's a huge key to the season for the nationals so before we go to short we have to talk about kind of the future of the infield here you have trey mm-hmm. turner at short but you also have Carter Keboom down there, obviously not ready yet. Where is Carter going to fit? Is he going to play second base in the future? Is it more of a, you know, third base option? What's going on with him? Yeah, right now it's 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 looking like second, especially with signing Dozier to that one-year deal. The Nationals had interest in guys like DJ LeMahieu, but didn't want to go after them because I think having to commit more time, you know, what kind of blocked – spent. Uh, I say Spencer, his brother, would have blocked Carter um, a little bit more into the future. So he's being developed into a second baseman this offseason. He played it in the Arizona Fall League. He's probably going to play it a bit in the minors. I think they're going to keep him at shortstop a good amount of the time as well. I think just the skills you develop there, it's a little more of a diverse position when it comes to fielding. And and uh, he also has a pretty big history of playing third base in high school. So I think depending on what happened with Anthony Rendon, obviously the Nats want to work that out and we can talk about it. But I think he's the kind of guy who could play any of those three spots in the future. Right now it's looking like second with the Dozier one year deal and he can get a, he can get a shot there, especially with him likely coming up as a September call up maybe earlier if there are injuries this season, but uh, he's definitely being slotted at second right now. You know, one of the trades that happened a couple of years ago at this point that involved a lot of names that if we look at today, we're like, wow, that kind of made more of an impact than we thought it was going to at the time. This Trey Turner deal, the three way from San Diego is kind of insane. I mean, Ken Rosenthal said he said that the Nats probably have picks on San Diego because they got all the they're the clear winner is actually the quote. Uh, Trey's a guy that's going to play all 162 games, which is phenomenal. At shortstop, when you have 19 homer pop and you steal as many bags as you did, I mean, top five in steals the last three years. What does he mean to this team? I mean, Trey Turner is just a phenom, honestly. Yeah, and I think he's because of. Harper, Rendon, and like last year Soto, I think Trey kind of gets buried a little bit Absolutely. in the conversation for the Nationals. And everyone's very um, keen on sort of painting Rendon as the most underrated star baseball has. I'm not going to say that's Trey yet. I don't think he's ascended to that. But he's, he's on probably his way, the, though. He's probably one of the most underrated, like you said, like pieces <laughs> of teams. Have. I mean, he just isn't – he hasn't come up. He's, they have three more years of team control with him. And – uh, you, and I, I think he would have told you, and I, I wrote this this offseason, that he was pretty um, bummed about his stolen base total last year just because he thought he he didn't see the ball well. He didn't – his plate approach didn't lead himself to a lot of walks. Like, I, he's, he wants to steal 50, 60 bases, and, and he thought he kind of shortchanged himself just by not getting on base enough. And he's realizing now that 
he kind of thinks he has to swing early and counts because, you know, teams are, teams are going to just come right at him. But then he's like, I kind of realized late in the year, like they actually stay away from my bat too. So he's pretty lethal in that sense that when you have that 19 home run pop, like you said, teams are going to stay away from you for that reason. But then in doing that, walk you and put you on and pretty much give you a double because of how well he can, exactly. he can steal bases. He basically starts um, on second. Right. So it's, he's so versatile in that way. And I think just the recognition of knowing that teams actually might pitch around him a bit and reacting to that instead of, you know, chasing a first pitch high fastball and, and popping out, he's actually going to have a bit more of a patient approach and that could, that could have a big effect. And yeah, I mean, he's, he's huge for this franchise right now. He could be a future leadoff hitter, um, a, a lot of different things and pairing him with his speed with Victor Robles, the top of the order, like it's the possibilities there are pretty limitless. I mean, I can only think of one faster team in baseball, and that's the Royals adding Billy Hamilton and getting Terrence Gore back and having Whit Merrifield. Turner reminds me of Merrifield a lot, not be not necessarily the play style. I mean, they both steal a lot of bags. Just the underappreciation that they have around the league. Yeah. No, I can see that. And also, like you mentioned, and not to knock, wait, like, but that speed on that team you just said is kind of just speed, right? Right. Where not not wit not wit but yeah but, but the other Hamilton guys and, and Gore and guys like right that. right and the national speed is like pretty versatile speed it's like yeah. you know it's like, like Robles is a, I I kind of call him joking like a four and a half tool player I and maybe he, I don't think he's five but they're kind of selling him that way and and Trey is close to it too I mean just the way he with the way he plays so it's it's pretty impressive and uh, yeah I don't think his value to the Nationals can be understated yeah so I mean we can move over to third base I mean. I'm from Texas, so anybody, anytime that I see a guy from Rice performing, Texas forever. Yes, goddamn it, Dave. Uh, <laughs> he's he's making 18 million, upcoming free agent next year. This is a 300 hitter, a guy that is top five and doubles most of his career. It seems like at this point, yep. feel like he's been in the league for about 25 years now, and it hasn't nearly been that long. You know, the six <laughs> war player. I mean, there's not many six war players in baseball. Top five, their base. Yeah. Anthony Rendon does it all and does not get nearly the appreciation that he should for being as good as he is. Yeah, I mean, the last three years, he's I think he's seventh in the league and more, and Harper's 34th. <laughs> just like, you know, it's kind of crazy, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's tough almost, to have a high like war expect, when you don't stay on the field. Right, right. It's almost like you'd expect this time next year we have this, like, major Anthony Rendon sweepstakes, but, like, we're not going to just, yeah. because, of how he's, just because of how he's viewed. But and maybe Nolan will be the top know. next year, so... He's, right, he'll, right. He'll be he'll be looked at like Mustakas is this year. He'll be like a consolation prize, which isn't isn't right, you know. No, but that's also if the the biggest question with him going into the season is that the Nationals need to resign him, especially if or sign him to an extension, especially if Bryce is going elsewhere, because that's kind of your guy now. That's your middle of the order piece. I mean, he's hit fourth behind Bryce for a while now, but he becomes he becomes immeasurably important if Bryce isn't on this roster. And I, I mean, I argue he's important either way, but um, in Rendon, you have a guy who's stated that he wants to stay. He wants to sign that extension. I think he's the kind of personality that like, a, you know, in spite of being a Scott Boris client could be like Steven Strasburg and, and go early and do it during the season, just because he likes that comfortability. He likes sort of his life in DC and, and sort of what it affords him and his family. So yeah, I mean, one, you can't, you can't really say enough how sort of underplayed his his status is in the league, and you also can't say enough how much this nas- the Nationals will need to deal with his future once this the rest of this Bryce stuff shakes out. The guy's only 28 years old, and like Austin said, yeah. it feels like he was there forever, but he makes just under $19 million. His market value is only, and I say only because it's baseball, but only right. $25 million. 
if you can get Anthony Rendon on a five, six, seven year deal, twenty five million a year, I feel like it's a pretty much a steal. He'll be twenty nine, get him on a five year deal. He's playing to what thirty five years old at twenty five yep. million a year. That's pretty great. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right, and I think, I think at the beginning of this offseason, the big question was if the Nationals could have both those guys on the same payroll in the event that Bryce did come back, and I think it's I. I think they could because I don't think what Rendon gets on his long-term deal is going to be that much higher than his what he's getting this year. Like his AAV isn't going to like shatter. No, no, it's only going to go up. It's going to go slightly. It's not going to go from eighteen to thirty-eight. Basically. Right. So, like, so in terms like this year, like the Nationals will have a twelve million dollar cushion to the to the competitive balance tax, and you know if Bryce Bryce came back, they'd go over that. But like, it's pretty much the same thing. So it'd be really interesting if both these guys are with the Nationals. But if, if not, you know, I think you are going to get a pretty good value on Rendon. So we're talking about all these young players, you know, and I want to talk about one other prospect. Uh, Nationals number three prospect, I believe, Luis Garcia. He's a little bit further away than the other guys that we've talked about. I, mean, I, I know it's a look far look ahead, but kind of what is Luis Garcia going to be or what do the Nationals hope he will be? So he's he's being developed. They're pretty much keeping him and Carter in lockstep. And I think the reason for that is, one, they could sort of work together when they are in this, you know, in the same, you know, in the same field or whatever it may be at the same level, which won't be to start the season, but whether it's in spring training and whatnot. And then two, it's just giving them a lot of flexibility. You don't know, um, let, let's say, you know, this year they try and make a big run and they want to get an arm at the deadline and they trade one of those guys or something like, like it's, uh, they, so the fact that they're going to develop both Luis and Carter into second baseman is, is significant and that they don't really know who's going to be that guy right now. It seems like Carter, just so much can happen. And, um, and also, Mike Rizzo showed last year with Ron Soto, he's really not shy about calling up 19-year-olds if they're playing well enough. Um, he's one of the GMs that, you know, to his credit, doesn't really meddle in that service times, you know, in, in that whole conundrum. He just he kind of just brings up whoever's the best fit at the time. And I, uh, but but yeah, Garcia to me, just looking at them, and this is total conjecture. Like he, he slots a little better if he was going to move off shortstop as a third baseman because he's he's a bigger build already. But uh, he's he's a a good shortstop. All reports from from his his progress so far is that he's he's a strong defensive shortstop, and 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 that natural move to second shouldn't be that hard for him. And um, I think he's another guy that has a lot of versatility and can play a lot of different places for them. Yeah, that guy's. I mean, he's he's another guy that even if say he comes up and beats the third baseman, by the time he gets up, Zimmerman might be long gone. So you could move Rendon over to first, kind of. You know, if he signs that big extension, you want to kind of protect your investment there. And third base obviously beats you up after a while. So, I mean, you guys have a lot of Trey Turners in the system. And I mean athletes because we'll jump to the outfield considering the two of them there with Robles and Soto. I mean, you guys have phenomenal athletes out there. And the way that I see it opening day wise, I think it's going to be Eaton, Soto and Michael Taylor solely because I think Robles, they might start in the minors and they might try and get him in there but you know maybe a contract thing or or something or it's simply going to be eaten Robles Soto I, I think it's one of the four of them I think Michael Taylor is an amazing player and I think that having him be on the team he's only 27 years old you know under team control for a couple of years and he's just a solid player he bats 270 230 like he bounces back and forth there but when he's not batting maybe the best average he's still walking a little bit he's still a great fielder and i think he's just a good glue guy 
I know he's not like the Soto and the Harper and all them, but you need a fourth outfielder that's going to be able to play defensively, maybe a replacement. So that's why I think Michael Michael Taylor will be good in center there. But if Robles is ready, he's going to go. Yeah, and I think all, all that you said about Taylor is true. I mean, obviously he has to make a big rebound at the plate. Yeah, he had um, only that in like 230 last year. It wasn't great. Yeah, and he hit, he hit 180 in September in August, and like, yeah. it was just he he he, he struggled a lot. And um, I know they're making tweaks, and he's working with the hitting coach a lot in the offseason. But the biggest thing there is like whether or not one of the other starts opening day in center, let's say, in a non-Bryce world. But it's I, I do think it's important to say like they they are confident in Taylor to the point that Robles, even if he was the opening day starter, he's not going to be the full time starter, and I think that's important to them, especially coming off a year in which he didn't play for most of it because of injury. And I, I just think they're not going to want to put too much on this plate right away. So he might be sort of the starting there and then and the, and the league guy in center. I would guess he is with the roster that they have right now, but I would, I would, I would think that Michael Taylor maybe makes like two starts a week um, and, and really is in the mix there. And again, like uh, kind of what I said about Matt Adams, the nationals kind of have seen that Michael Taylor doesn't really do well in a pinch hitting role. He's not going to be called upon to pinch it that much because they like to bring him in for Eaton late games for defensive assurance. So it's it's not like he's going to be a guy who's like pinch hitting in the sixth or seventh in, in bigger spots. But at the same time, getting him as many bat, as bat, at bats as possible early in the season when you're still easing Robles in can only have a good impact on the season moving moving beyond that. So I do I do expect him to be regularly in the mix, not just buried in the bench. That's for sure. What what can we expect out of Soto this season? Do you think he kind of regresses a little bit, or you know, just having the amount of tape that they do on him now, or is he gonna come back and have another great year? So hard with him because so you don't want to, right? And you don't want to say too much about a guy at that age, but like his eye last year and his plate discipline and his his two strike approach was like so beyond a nineteen year old that it's like it's hard to imagine him getting so rattled by getting, you know, whatever he gets pounded by out backdoor curveballs. Like I, I could see him, his walks could like just, just soar. It's kind of like what you saw with Bryce once he got established. Um, even his numbers in his 19 year old season compared to Bryce's, uh, when Bryce won rookie of the year, were just so much better in terms of, you know, walk rate and strikeout rate and all that. So I, I expect him to digress a bit. It's just because that was such a historically good season. It's just hard to match that, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be like, he's going to really fall off in, in terms of him getting picked apart by pitchers and scouting reports, because I think he showed the ability already to adjust. I mean, the hitting Kevin Long nationals hitting coach said that so many players, so many veterans last year had adjusted their two strike approach because they had watched Soto hit, which is like so crazy to think about for a 19 year old. So, um, he seems as equipped as anybody to handle what's going to come at him next. I think he's going to walk a ton. I think he, and he already did last year. And I think um, maybe his power numbers go down as a result of just not seeing as many fastballs. I mean, when he first came up, they were just throwing him all these fastballs. And it was like, this guy crushes fastballs, obviously. Like, do not do not throw him any more fastballs. And it seemed like the league was so slow to react. But um, now they're going to have the book on him, like you said. But I think, I think he'll be all right. All right, so we're going to jump to the starting pitching. There's a lot of money invested in this rotation. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Really, there is? My, like how my, much you think one of my favorite stats when we're talking about contracts is I love to remind people that Steven Strasburg makes 45 million in 2023 and they yeah. all look at me like I'm absolutely just stupid. I'm like, no, go, go check. No, he really does. Yeah, no, he, he really does. The starting pitching has $62 million invested in it currently, by the way. Jesus. Yeah. But I mean, hey, for this year, you have three like this year, great arms. I mean, if you I mean, Strasburg's one of those guys where if you could turn off injuries, he's a top five pitcher. 
You know, I mean, this rotation, one through three, is one of the best in the league, but one of the most underrated, underrated sightings so far the offseason is this Honorable Sanchez ad. Not only do you take somebody away from the Braves, but you also get a guy who had a pretty much of a resurgence last year. Yeah, and I think you're I think you're right. I think the the riskiest part of the Annabelle Sanchez signing is that you essentially traded traded him for Joe Ross in the sense of like that's who you put in his spot and not Joe Ross, sorry, Tanner Roark. And see, I'm I'm getting my fourth, <laughs> fourth and fifth pitch was already mixed up and it's not even spring training yet. Um you kind of trade you kind of traded spots for Tanner Roark and Roark was such a workhorse. And like, yeah, say what you want about his start last year and, and it was bad, all kinds of bad. But he averaged 33 starts a year for the past, you know, four or five years. So that's such a valuable thing where Sanchez is kind of the opposite. He was, he was really good last year. He was durable last year, but you can't really rely on him to make 30 plus starts. And then that fourth, fifth guy, like that's kind of what you need to some extent, especially with all the injuries they've had to guys like Strasburg and, and, um, you know, and, and, and Corbin's kind of over the years, hasn't been as durable as a guy like Scherzer, but um, yes, yeah, Sanchez last year, I mean, he was excellent and he's, he's mixing six pitches, which, which, you know, it makes me just, makes my brain hurt just thinking about it. Um, yeah, he's but, back to his uh, old Detroit ways at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, and he's totally reinvented himself and, uh, it's, it's pretty cool to see. And, and like I said earlier, working with Kurt Suzuki last year was good for him. He had a great record and starts with Kurt. I don't know it off the top of my head, but, um, the fact that the guy who he's credited with a lot of the resurgence in Atlanta is now on the nationals bench, I don't think is a coincidence. And I also don't think, uh, is, is going to, is kind of, it's something that's going to really be good for the Nats because he was really comfortable with Kurt and they worked through a lot of that adjustments together. So, um, I think you'll see more of that and it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty good situation for a four starter. Yeah. Six years, 140 million for Patrick Corbin. Uh, kind of out of left field, honestly, like just out of nowhere. That wasn't a name that I was thinking that he was even thinking about. Uh, as a Red Sox fan, Dave and I just automatically assumed that he was going to be a Yankee and had come to terms with that one. But when the Yankees didn't want to give him that sixth year, I mean, at the end of the day, money talks. And yeah. I think that he adds just an, a whole nother element because that slider is, is probably one of, if not top three in baseball. Yeah, and I think... You know that sixth year, and also just the AAV on it. Like the Nationals did overpay, and 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 they you have to for agency. You always overpay right. for agency. And in this case, like they just they knew how much the Yankees wanted him because hometown guy, and that, that was sort of the buzz. But they also said we can get to the point where the Yankees don't want him that, this much. And I think that was, um, I, I think that was that was it. It sort of a shows the sort of win now mode. Uh, I don't think obviously the Nationals and anyone signing a pitcher like this isn't signing him for years four, five, and six. In this case, they're just hoping for an excellent, hopefully maybe even like Cy Young level one, two, three, you know, and, you know, top five Cy Young voting or whatever it is. That, that's kind of what you're paying for. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's, it's a huge investment and uh, it's kind of the time is now for that to pay off just with some of the guys that are still on the team and, and, the, and the rotation that he's in. So we'll see how that one works out. It's it's going to be the biggest one of the biggest storylines of national season just is that investment worth it and and uh, him along and Strasburg's health I mean and his fastball velocity are kind of two major keys because this is a team now that's without Bryce if, if they go on without him is really investing in starting pitching and and winning close games and winning by one run and that's something they were terrible at last year so it's uh it's gonna be really interesting to see so who's the fifth starter we talking Joe Ross yeah I mean that's who I if I was a uh, if I was betting on it which I'm certainly not um I would say Joe Ross is your fifth starter uh, the other options there is Eric Fetty, who was who was okay last year, was out for a lot of the season with shoulder inflammation, and then you have a guy like Henderson Alvarez, who um, 
who is is coming on a minor league deal, and if he's somewhat what he was early in his career, he could really surprise them and get some starts. But I think he's more of like a depth guy, kind of like they had with Tommy Malone and Jeremy Hellickson last year. But it, but then again, like those guys were parts of the in the rotation for a lot for major parts of the season because the Nationals, I think they had nine guys with three or more starts. It's eight or nine, and um, we're you know we're we're talking now late January. I think there still could be a few signings like that one year low value veteran like Helixson or Malone, just where you're giving yourself the assurance to have those guys who can make spot starts. But uh, it's, it's Fetty or Ross. I'd say Ross just with the experience. And I think Fetty could really benefit from getting some time down in the minors and, and working on his stuff and his command. But, uh, but, he, but he's, he's flashed being really good as well. So we'll, um, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, Ross is a front runner there. I'd imagine. So, the starting pitching is your strongest suit in the team. Obviously, the lineup's great. It's pretty much set, minus just a little few question marks here and there, a little tweaks, who's going to start where. Your starting pitching is one of the best top three in the National League, if not all of baseball. The weakest point of the team from you know an outside perspective and just a baseball fan in general is your bullpen. You guys started selling off last year, which we talked about before in podcasts that you guys, I we feel though you should have sold even more because you could always, you know, you could always recover the free agency again. But right. you have no clear cut closer. You have a closer that and a reliever slash closer that came back off Tommy John, who you signed to a one year try deal with a club option in Rosenthal. You have Sean Doolittle, who I love when he's healthy and he's banged up this year, but he's a really good seven eight inning guy. After that, you have some interesting names. You have Sammy Solis. You have uh, Kyle Bearclaw. You have um, Glover as well, who, you know, had a little bit of a walk issue, walking issue. But besides that, was pretty decent in his, you know, 16, 20 innings, that small sample size. Do you guys go get another, you know, bullpen piece? Is like a Ryan Madsen going to come back or something like that? Or, you know, is it going to be a 7-8-9 of Doolittle, Rosenthal, and, you know, just try it out? I think it's going to be, I'd imagine, you know, the Nationals like Doolittle as their closer. Last year he had all-star numbers before he got hurt midseason uh, with that toe injury that kind of just lingered for way too long. And um, and then beyond that, they sort of have, if, if Rosenthal comes back to something close to what he was uh, with back-to-back 40 safe seasons earlier in his career, they kind of have righty and lefty options for the ninth. Uh, I, I, do, I do think Doolittle, when on regular rest, will get the first crack most nights. Um, until further notice, but they also do have that versatility, like I said, of, of having two different options. And, you know, if, if it was three righties coming up, do you maybe slide Rosenthal in if he's rested? And then from there, it's where it's where it, that's where it thins out a bit. I think Coda Glover has stuff to prove. He, had, he missed a lot of last year with that shoulder injury that kept him out until August. And then I, I think there's there's other guys, like you said, Kyle Bearclaw, you're not really sure what he is. I, I see him more as a middle relief option right now. Uh, instead of a setup man, Matt Grace was good last year. Sort of a matchup lefty who could also throw a full inning. But um, yeah, the bullpen's the bullpen's thinner and, and a lot of question marks. I, I think I think you're right in there. Uh, like Sammy Solis had a really bad year last year and has to come and prove a lot in camp to even I think make, get get a spot. He's out of options, but I could see them just putting him on waivers out the camp out of spring training if uh, you know if he's not uh, if he's up to par. So. Yeah, the bullpen's the biggest question mark for sure. I don't think they're going to go out and do anything big from now until uh the season starts uh they, they made a small you know smaller signing minor league deal for vidal nuno that you know could could pay dividends if he comes in, in good shape and uh he could be kind of a low man or a lefty if he's pitching well and uh lefty specialist but uh yeah i think it's you know ninth right now do it all and 
eighth, some kind of combination of Rosenthal Glover, and then seventh is some kind of nation of Rosenthal Glover, Bearclaw, Grace. It's but like you said, it's uh, it's not so clear cut, and that's that's kind of one of the bigger. That's probably the biggest question mark, and and then in, in turn, you have to make that kind of the biggest storyline in terms of what this team can really compete this year, given the strength of the rest of the roster. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, if we're so one thing, one last thing I kind of want to go over with this team because it's a it's yeah. an interesting bunch. Is there any prospects that stand out to you besides the three? You know, being uh, Garcia, Keyboom, and Robles that we've already talked about in this system. There isn't anybody that's kind of off the charts, uh, and that's. That's something that's, I think, again, another another sort of key with this team and a theme that uh, who's that next guy? Because uh, in some ways you can say that would have been Soto this year. You know, it would have been Robles this year, but they're just accelerated because those guys have shown that they deserve a shot earlier than most players would. So I wouldn't go as far to say that the system is really thin because um, Soto's prospect age and just playing really well and, and right. earned his spot up in the big leagues. But yeah, after, after that group, this young group right now, there isn't really anybody that's uh, standing out. Like, you know, Will, Will Crow is, is a pitcher that, that could come up in the bullpen and, um, and maybe get some you know opportunities or as a starter. And uh, James Bork is another guy that I know the organization really likes and is sort of grooming into being that next group that gets a chance. So uh, there is, there are some guys floating, but no one that's sort of on the, on the cusp of being that, that major prospect where you kind of saw them burst onto the scene, like, like a Soto or Robles or, or, or Kibum or whatever it may be. And, and Garcia is kind of like, we talked about him earlier, but he's that kind of waiting in the wings just cause he's younger. So I think he is the next guy to sort of pick up steam. And if he has a good year this year, he'll start to really get a lot of attention and, and like any prospect at his name floated in 10,000 trade rumors. So, uh, so that, that will be something to look forward to. Uh, so, I have one more question that uh-huh. is kind of a Washington sport theme, it seems. Washington sports have a history of having a very good roster, very good regular seasons. You look at the Wizards in those years where they were competing and they were in the you know East Conference fin- the semifinals and all that. You look at the Washington Capitals, who finally broke through last year, but won President's Trophies, had 100-point seasons in the mid-2000s. And you have the Redskins, who have been pretty much a 500 team, but obviously they had some peaks with RG3 before he blew out his knee. And the Nationals obviously made it to the playoffs for the first time with Strasburg, where they had it, they shut down his innings limit. They've had Bryce Harper, who is arguably a top three player in baseball. What does it take for this team to finally get over that hump like the Capitals did? With Is it that the spotlight won't be on them as much because Harper's not there? Is it management? Is it you know, ownership? Is it bringing in veteran players? What makes them go from, you know, basically a good roster, but no one's really worried about them to finally turning some heads and saying, oh, these guys are the real deal. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, a great point. And I think right now you probably could say, I, I, I even saw MLB Network special on it the other day that Nationals have won the offseason, but that means literally nothing <laughs> unless you win the season and win the division and whatever it may be. Um, I mean, first things first, and I, it's, it's a cliche, and I'm, I sound like the manager now, but health is, is a major factor, uh, and that's most pressing with guys like Strasburg and Zimmerman, but, but it goes on down the roster. Last year, it affected pretty much everyone, aside from like Harper, Turner, and Scherzer in terms of key players. Uh, and then after that, I mean, it's, it's getting hot at the right time. It's like in a, in a playoff series, if you can get this team to a playoff series, in a, um, you don't want to go against this rotation. I mean, you've kind of said it the way they stack up in the National League. 
you don't want to go against uh, the only rotation in the National League you might fear more in that spot is the Mets uh, or, or the Dodgers, depending on how Kershaw is this year. But, you know, if you have Scherzer lined up for game one, you have a really good chance to win that game. And if Strasburg's velocity comes back, you have a super good chance to win that game. And, and, and Corbin and, and on down the line, Max has shown the ability to go in short rest. So this is such a dangerous playoff team. But like last year would have been a dangerous playoff team, too. They just they bottomed out so early. So I think just getting hot at the right time, sustaining success throughout the year and and winning those close games last year, they were they were really good when they when they kind of dumped on teams and uh, and and just really pulled away early. But they they didn't win a lot of one run games, and that's bullpen's going to come into play. Timely hitting's going to come into play. I don't think this team's going to play long ball. Last year, you saw most of the contending teams, a lot of teams that that made a run, uh, you know, were were using their home run to to pretty much fuel their offense, and that's not really going to be this Nationals team's mo. So that's another interesting subplot that they're kind of going against the grain of what modern baseball is sort of telling us is a winning formula. But uh, I, I think they have the tools to win. It's just kind of every year there's all these variables that go into what makes a, a team tick and a team kind of elevate from good to World Series contender or whatever it may be. And we're not going to really know if this team has that until probably July, August. And, and then you'll kind of see the signs. And then it's all about just catching fire when, when you need to. And uh, that's, I think that's just how it will play out. All right, everybody, welcome back. We have another episode of Chatter's Box with Cole Irvin and Austin Hartsfield. Today, we are going over the top pitchers in the NL East. I'm going to start it off today. We're going to switch it up a little bit. So my list is a little different than the top five. I have an honorable mention at the end, somebody for a projection I think is actually going to have a really good year. And then I have two guys sharing a single slot because they are on the same team. So number one, Jake DeGrom, the best pitcher in the National League. I know everyone's. I know most people say it's Scherzer. It's mostly just because of the strikeouts with him. He dominates strikeouts. Not only does Degrom get a lot of strikeouts, but he just keeps the ball in the ballpark, which is big. And the dude's just nasty. He will strike out twelve a game. He'll get thirteen out ground ball outs in a row. He gets it done in so many different ways on a bad team where he knows he's not. He might not get a win. I mean, Jake Degrom was like a five hundred pitcher this year and won the Cy Young. And that's a mental toll too. I mean, Cole's the pitcher. He'll, he'll, he'll chime in and tell you it's not easy to go play for a team. You know, you're going to lose for anybody that's ever played an organized sport before knows. Yeah. When your team's at the bottom of the standings and leaderboard, it's tough to get up in the morning. Like you were, if you were playing for the Patriots or something where, you know, wow, we got a good shot of winning every game. So that's why I have the grommet one. Number two, no surprise there. It's mad max, uh, max Scherzer. Unbelievable. If he was a few years younger or a little, you know, a little less, you know, miles in the arm. I'd say he played for another 18 years. The guy is unbelievable. Strikes out close to 300 pitches a year, has his ERA on the three, absolutely filthy. Been doing it at an age where people thought he would start to fall off with that big long contract when he left Detroit, when Washington signed it. But he's just continuing to dominate and he's going to have another amazing year. Number three is Noah Syndergaard. He's going to stay healthy this year. He's not going to have foot and mouth disease. He's not going to hurt his oblique for 100 years in a row. He's going to be a legitimate you know, ace. He won't be the ace of that team because he plays with Jake DeGrom, but he will be a top five pitcher in the league this year. He will get over 200 strikeouts. He'll pitch over 200 innings, and he's going to dominate. Number four, two players also on the same team, and I wanted to just kind of put them together because Aaron Nola is going to have another amazing year. He had a breakout year this year, and I think really put his name on the map. And I think he's going to follow up with that. A guy that I didn't think was going to have an amazing year last year was Jake Arrieta. I thought he was going to kind of fall off, but he clearly didn't. And he may have struggled in the second half a little bit, but he was still phenomenal. 
And I think he's going to kind of continue to do what he's been doing since he's kind of joined Chicago, which was be, you know, a top half of the rotation pitcher. And I think the combination of Nola and Arietta is going to be just filthy. And number five, it's a reliever, the only reliever on this list. It's uh, Diaz. He came over in the trade from Seattle, 24 years old, a ton of control, almost broke the all-time save records last year. He's going to get an opportunity to pitch in, in New York because when they will win games, it will be by close margins, and they will throw him out there. The Mets do not care about innings limits or guys getting hurt. Clearly, they've had a million guys in the DL, and they let him come back, and they mess it up. So they're going to throw their guys out. And he's going to get close to 50-plus saves again this year as long as the Mets cooperate with that. But every time he's out there, he's much watched TV. And number six is our good friend Cole Irvin. I mean, the guy's nasty. Let's he could, have been, he could have been minor league pitcher of the year last year. He struck out Vlad, uh, Vlad Jr. twice. He's big. He's 220 pounds, unless you look at MLB The Show. Definitely which has not 180. Definitely not 180. The guy's an absolute <laughs> unit. And his will to work is higher than most people. So I'm looking for big things out Cole Irvin this year, and he will be drafted in my fantasy league. You can you can print that. How how are we supposed to put Cole <laughs> on this list when he has 40 control? Um, you know what? I'm gonna say that's fake news, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go out there and re-edit that, and I might re-put that picture. I'm gonna go into the rosters myself and edit that up. That might be the picture for the episode. It's just Cole's. It's just Cole's forty control. It should be with a bunch of question marks next to it because it's absurd. It is. It is fifty-two walks per nine, even though he led all of minor league baseball with it. But, Another uh, reason why I think he's gonna be great, and it's it goes along with that Philly rotation with Cole at the four or five slot and Nola and Arietta at the one and two. That's we gonna hope. be a dominant pitching staff. Yeah, no, I know, I know. So Austin, what's your what's your five while we let uh, uh we let Cole just bask in his glory here? Yeah, this episode is uh brought to you by Jack in the Box, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Jack in the, the Box. Drive not a not not a sponsor, but could be a sponsor if they want, as Cole's waiting for his lunch today out there in uh out west. Oh man, <laughs> but uh, number I have two honorable mentions. One of them is Cole's teammate Vince Velasquez. I think he's gonna have big year. But a guy that is my favorite pitcher in the entire, probably NL outside of Luke Weaver is Steven Matz. Steven Matz needs to get right. He needs to stay healthy. And if he can do that and get that sinker going, I think Steven Matz is gonna be a force to reckon with in that rotation. Especially when you're in a rotation with Degrom, Syndergaard. Wheeler, I mean, it, the list just keeps going on. But let's talk about Thor. You said it best. No hand, foot, and mouth. Dude throws gas. Looks like a Nordic god. And, uh, I mean, what can you expect out of a guy that follows Jake DeGrom? He is an ace on pretty much any other team in baseball. I mean, I don't think we can debate that one outside of, like, the big wigs that have three aces in their rotation. This is Yeah, like the, a Washington Nationals yeah. or something. Right. Washington, Boston, I mean... Pretty much that's yeah. about it, actually. So, yeah, very short list. I mean, Thor Thor is a, you know, number one on 28 other teams. I don't know if this is a big statement. Uh, I think Edwin Diaz is the best closer in baseball right now. The guy throws gas. Yeah, right gas. now he is. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. last year. Yeah, Closers absolutely. come in spurts. Like, we have, yep. to, we have to realize that. I mean, there was a stretch to where Papelbon was the best, you know. We saw Eric Gagne do it for a long time. But right now, it's Edwin Diaz. You know, it's not Craig Kimbrell. It's not anybody like that. It's a guy that in Seattle that had a lot of opportunities when it comes to saves, saved 57 games last year and just throws straight gas and can get you with breaking stuff that just makes people swing out of their shoes. 
uh, we, we get to the top three, and it's just aces everywhere, man. I mean, you could honestly put these guys in any order you want. Uh, three is Nola, two is Scherzer, one is DeGrom, and they pretty much said all you need to know about those three. I mean, I think Nola... I actually thought about putting Nola higher than Scherzer this year just because I think that there's going to be... I don't think Mad Max will be the Mad Max that we've seen from a couple of these years. Not that he's going to be bad. I just think Nola will be better than Scherzer this year. I don't know if that's a big statement. Wow. That's... I mean, I actually... Uh, I don't I don't hate that about the Nola-Scherzer thing because if, if Scherzer's age starts to show and Nola just continues to get better... You could see, you know, a little bit of a jump there for Nola. And I'm talking Scherzer goes from like a top three pitch in the league to a top five, which right. is well, still amazing. So nothing, was, nothing crazy. Scherzer, a lot like his former teammate, Justin Verlander, I mean, they've reinvented themselves over the years. Yeah, they have. Like David Price did the same thing. You know, you see these guys that just used to blow people by and now they're doing it with excellent breaking stuff. And it's pretty cool to watch. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all, all of you guys um, and, and I appreciate the honorable mention um we do need to work on that 40 control and apparently everyone's got a problem with my 16 bunt and i have not missed an execution in my in, in my appearances where i've had to sacrifice bunt. i have not missed uh a sacrifice yet so that that stat is also skewed people forget um, cole loves to hit like he's a pitcher love who loves to hit. He is. He's never going to go to an American League team. Be like, hey, the Red Sox want to give you three hundred million. Well, what do the Mets want to give me? Two fifty. Yeah, I'll take it. I want to hit. I want to hit. <laughs> Believe it or not, if I make it to free agency, I think hitting is definitely a factor. You heard it here first. Oh man, we gotta, we gotta, we just gotta get rid of the whole rule and just have everybody be a DH so Cole can come to Boston. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I again, I appreciate the. Uh, the honorable mention, uh, I'd love to be a part of, um, you know, the guys, you know, with, with the Phils this year. I mean, it's going to be fun. But so my list is is obviously very comparable to, to you guys. A um, couple of honorable mentions I want to start out with is Dan Straley. Um, there we go. That's a, that's a really know, good one. You know, I, I, th- I think he needs to – he's kind of out of luck. Um, being with, being with that Miami team, uh, I just, I just really hope that, you know, he's, he's the, he's the ace of that staff, you could say, because of, <laughs> he's got no one else. It's, 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 um, it's, it's, it's like, I hate to say it that way, but, but we can't, we can't dismiss that Dan Straley is in Miami and he's going to give them an at least above average start every time he goes out. Um, and and so I want to make sure I start there. He's he's an absolute uh, workhorse um, as well. And I know I love that phrase, but uh, well, he's old school. Exactly. Yeah, he's very old school in his mentality, his approach. And he just knows how to get hitters out, and especially in in a pitcher's ballpark, you know, like like Miami, but in a division that's very offensive heavy. Um, he's got to find a way to get out, get outs too. So I want to start there with that honorable mention. Um, second honorable mention, I want to, I want to say is going to be, uh, I want to see where Jared Eikhoff and, and uh, Zach Eflin trend to. Um, and, and, and now with Patrick Corbin coming to the NL East again, the NL East is an absolute powerhouse when you're looking at, who knows? Who knows what Harper Machado might do? Who knows what uh, Keuchel or 
uh, uh, Kimbrell, you know, where these guys are going to sign, you know, we, we don't know. So, I mean, there's obviously players on the list that, um, could end up in the NL East and making that, I mean, the, the Braves, I mean, there's, there's so many, uh, quality arms on the, on the Braves and, and how, I mean, it's just like every day, um, in the NL East is going to be a dogfight. You're not going to see, I don't think, I mean, you're going to have your random, random games unless you're playing in Miami and I'm not trying to, you know, you know, bash on Miami, but I just don't think the NL East is going to have very many five run games with the elite pitching that, that is now, now there in that division. Um, analytics might play a part of it. Um, but you know, I want to say for, for number one, um, you know, we kind of bounce around the Max Scherzer, uh, Jacob deGrom, uh, I I got, I got Nola. I think he's trending in just such a positive direction. Um, he hasn't, you know, even when he first got called up, I don't think he had an ERA over four. Um, and he's just commands the ball. He knows how to get hitters out. He's got elite stuff, and he's just got a funky delivery. And I don't think he has a season. He's had a season yet to where he's trending in the negative direction. He might have had a month or two, um, but I just think you know he knows how to get outs. He knows how to pitch in this division. Um, and so I think he's my, he's he's my for sure number one for 2019. Be ready for for what Nola has this year. Um, two, Mad Max. Um, you you can't argue that he is one of the most elite pitchers in, in major league baseball. I mean, just his energy, his demeanor on the mound. It's, it's exciting. It's just exciting to whenever you see Monday night baseball or Thursday night, baseball, whatever baseball you're going to watch, you can't not turn it on. If, if Max Scherzer is on the mound, like how do you turn away from watching him pitch? Cause you know, he's going to bring so much emotion to the fight and he's still exciting to watch at his age. So, um, so yeah, he's my number two for sure. Uh, three, four, five can kind of go anywhere. Um, I, I got Diaz at three, uh, but only based on what he did last year. I think he's going to have trouble coming into 2019, um, figuring out the NL East. Um, I, I think it's going to it's going to be a different site. He's going to be dealing with the big noise in New York. Um, I, I just I I. I you know, I, I hope he does. I hope he does well, but at the same time, I, I just don't see him uh, trending very upward. Maybe until the later half of the season, uh, where where they actually turn to him in crunch time, and he's comfortable. Um, but if they're expecting to contend, uh, I don't expect them to really rely on Diaz as much as they're saying right now, um, because he's young. He has a lack of experience in, in postseason games, and um, and I think they're going to – he's he's going to – he might have the, uh, you know, the uh, – oh, gosh, I am all over the place today. Sorry. <laughs> Noodle. I know. I'm just straight, all over the place. Straight mush right now. Yeah, I know. Uh, Mariano Rivera effect. Where, who's you know, that where guy? He, yeah, who's that guy? I think, I think he's going to come in. They're not sure what they're going to get from him. Like, you know, Mariano's first year. Uh, you know, up in the big leagues, you know, how quiet was he? Um, I mean, in his first people, year? he was people almost traded. Yeah, no, people listening might not kind of realize he was only a top 10 prospect for the Yankees once. 
and he was number yeah. nine that year. So yeah, he wasn't like he was guy. on his last year, and, and yeah. he was on his last year of his minor league deal, if I was not mistaken. Right? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he kind of it was like one of those things like, man, this guy could be something, but we're gonna wait and see. And he got close to the end, like maybe this guy won't be what we hope. Turned out he was the best closer of all time. But Cole, Cole's absolutely right. Yeah, and so I think it's gonna be the Mariano effect with him. Um, don't know what they're gonna get out of him coming to New York for the first time. He's gonna have his. New York struggles. It's a big market. Um, not saying any of the markets in the NL East aren't aren't small. <laughs> it is the it is the Mets though. It's it's but not it, the but it's the Mets. Yeah, it's the Mets. But I'm still saying he's still living in New York. Yes, you know, he, is. Like, he still has the he's, outside he's, thing. It's not Seattle. It's not it's not the green trees. It's not the you know hey nice people you know, get a good co- good cup of coffee around here. Look what it did to Sunny like, Gray. Yeah, it ruined Sunny Gray's career. <laughs> And so that's kind of where I'm factoring my kind of, <laughs> I guess, expertise, you could say, uh, is kind of change of scenery might be good for him, but it could it could kind of hurt him in the in the front part of the season. So he's at three, uh, four. Uh, man, uh, it's it's hard not to have Jacob Degrom at the top of the list. About to I say, was hoping so at seriously. one point. I mean, what the hell, man? You know, he won the Cy Young. But I, I just don't. I think he's gonna be, he's gonna be good. He's not gonna be what he was this past year. Um, well, it was almost, it was almost yeah. perfect, honestly. Yeah, he was almost perfect. Right. Yeah, and, and I think it's not. I'm not trying to say he's trending in a negative direction. He's gonna be the ace of the staff. He's gonna be on top of you know that rotation every day. He's gonna get the ball. Maybe he figures it out and and he continues his success from last year. But um, you know, who knows? Uh, there's a lot to kind of read into with the Jacob deGrom winning the Cy Young and and you know he gets guys out and like he knows how to pitch you you, like his later starts last season he was in the eighth inning seventh eighth inning no one in baseball does that anymore why because of the analytics time like I'm very old school in my thinking I think the pitcher should go as long as he can and just because he gives up a hit in the eighth doesn't mean he's done um so I just think you know he was just elite even in the late innings, um, and I, I just think he's he's still trending in a positive direction. But I, again, I I just he's not going to produce what he produced last year, and that's why I kind of put him at my four because I'm more interested to see interested to see Scherzer Nola. Have we Diaz seen the right peak now. of Jacob Degrom? I think last year, yeah, we did. Do you I think, think Nola is going to have a do you think Nola is going to have a better year than Degrom? I think so. I honestly right. believe so. I, I just, I just don't see with with again. I don't know both these guys personally. I don't know these guys any other way than just what they put on the field. And I just, I just see Nola's demeanor get better every time he gets out. More experiences, the more pitches he has off the mound against elite hitting. You know, I'd be interested to see the stats against the best teams in the league and how they did against them, you know, in, in their divisions. Or in Yeah, their, well, they, they played in the same you know, division, which is which helps. I mean, right. I mean, I don't think the Grom's going to have a 1-7 ERA and a 1-9-9 FIP again. But I don't see him I don't see him I don't I don't see him sitting at 2-3. I, I see him at a 2-5, 2-7. And yeah, not, but and does now, that mean? But that now means now we're splitting hairs. But yeah, exactly. But but that means you see Nola at a two 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 three. 
think Noel has a possibility. I see. I see. I see. I, yeah, I honestly see him being at a two three two four. Um, if not, I love him. Because... I, I I think he's gonna be under a two five two six if at worst. So who's your number five? That... Because I have a picture that I have a question about. Kind of us okay, discussing yeah. this. Uh, number five, I'm interested to see, and this is just pure. I want to. I want to bring in a lefty here, and Patrick love Corbin. Those. Hey, I like Corbin, and and I I I, I like it. For the Nationals, you know, they got Strasburg, Scherzer, uh, Corbin at the top of that rotation. That's just <laughs> that's just disgusting. Yeah. Um, but I will say I- I'd like to see some production out of him. Um, the NL West is very, you know, hitter, hitter friendly, I guess you could say. Um, you know, Diamondbacks to Coors to yeah, you know, I'm just trying to you know factor in the the fields and stuff. But you know, you also had Dodger Stadium that's a pitcher's park. You have you know Giants that's a pitcher's park. Um, you know, and, and he still was around the four range in his ERA, and, and he kind of walked guys. He had a high walk rate. Um, I, I just I want to see him have success in the East. Uh, behind Strasburg and Scherzer, I think those two. I think those two are going to pay dividends in terms of growth and development into what we can see from Corbin this year. So I'm interested to see how that pitching staff turns out. Um, and that's just my honest opinion. I, I think Corbin is actually benefiting from signing with the Nationals and their and that pitching staff. Well, yeah, it's always helpful when. You are the star of your team. You have a great time. Now you don't have to be the star. And some guys like to be the star, obviously. But look at a guy like David Price. He's done much better now that Chris Sale's been there. You know, and I think Nola, who, and Porcello, too, and, um, you know, Corbin had a career year, obviously. He dropped his ERA by almost a whole point and his, um, his whip by almost half a point, which are huge jumps. I don't know if Noel's going to be around three one five again, close to it, you know, a two ERA. But even if he's at like a three 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 four, you know, and does well and has you know two hundred fifty plus strikeouts, it's going to be production. And you overpaying free agency. Nobody should ever look at Patrick Corbin and say he's the ace of this team. He needs to have a three or under ERA, three close to three hundred strikeouts and over two hundred innings every year. He might get paid like it, but he is not the ace of the squad. And I think it's going to benefit him too, Cole. I think that him slotting in the three hole, he will kind of, they're kind of protecting him as well. Being like, listen, look at our three starter has 200 innings pitched and a three, two ERA. Is that amazing? And it is. Or, hey, he's our three starter. He's got a three, five it's, or three, six. It's a new ballpark, new team. Let him get adjusted. He'll be okay. And I think both things will help him out. All right. So three things. First of all, shout out Tommy Eveld sitting in that division, friend of the show. Yeah, uh, good guy, good guy. Spring training invite too. So Cole's he did a little, one. a little late one, but a little we, sneaky. They, they all count the same. Yeah, they all count the same, baby. Uh, <laughs> second, we have. Uh, I have a question about another guy in this division that nobody listed on their list, probably because of actions last year. What do we think about Jose Urania? Mm-hmm. Uh, impartial. Like, is it? Like, he's, is he that... top ten in this division? No, probably not. Right? Not not yet. No. I mean, if he has another really good year, and makes that jump, sure. But literally, I mean, you could take Degrom, Mad Max, Thor. You could take 
you know, Strasburg is better than him, right? So you got Strasburg, Mad Max, you got Corbin, you got DeGrom, you got Thor, you got Diaz, you have even a guy like Steven Matz, who's pretty consistent. Or no, Wheeler. Zach Wheeler is better than Urena. So no, I would say no, not yet. If he has another good year, yeah, maybe, but not yet. I'm not even going to go into the whole like him throwing at uh, Acuna. Even before that, I didn't think he was there yet. He's one of the bright spots in Miami, but Miami doesn't have many bright pitching spots to really go off of anyway. So segue. So uh, that's how you segue by saying the word segue. Well, obviously, how else would you do it? Duh. I thought you were talking about those that the little little motorbikes. Thing. No, that's a West Coast thing, Cole. Everyone's a little <laughs> a little more so, laid back out there. The not a lot of not a lot of Braves love. So I mean, I figured I'd at least bring up a guy that way people listening know that the Braves actually have pitchers. Braves good at baseball? What? Yeah, Braves are good at baseball again. It's like it's <laughs> like the nineties all over. They can right? hit. It is, yeah. They just can hit. That's like that's. The well, they had some it's good like, pitching. They last have tw- twenty they of their did. top thirty prospects are pitchers. Yeah, they have a lot Stupid. of pitches in the system. And the one that I want to talk about is Mike Soroka. Like, if we're going to talk about a guy that could possibly win Rookie of the Year, and you know, we'll talk about Rookie of the Year candidates sometime within the next couple months. But I think Mike Soroka's got to be in the top five this year. Just because I think Atlanta needs pitchers to step up this year, whether it be Tehran, whether it be Fultonevich, who Dave can't say his name. Fultonevich, I got it now. Yeah. So, I mean, I think Mike Soroka is going to be really good for this Braves team if he gets the innings that he should. 